welcome to Faith Is on this Memorial Day weekend. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm your host for this program, Faith Is, where we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Think about that. Do we have, can we have, yes we can, have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Now this is a special weekend in our country because we remember the incredible sacrifice of so many that died to preserve the gift of God, our liberty. And I want us to take some time to just kind of go through what we know about that and what we should remember and to give thanks for God's wonderful gift of liberty. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, and we take seriously at our church that God gave us the gift of liberty. We, we don't worship the country. We don't worship anything or any body or any entity except God. We don't worship the United States of America, but we do give thanks for God's gift of liberty. We look around at the world and we look around at history and we recognize that God did something wonderful for us by giving us this nation where we have the opportunity to have a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Those were Abraham Lincoln's words, and he reminds us still today that we enjoy the gift of liberty and it's ours to preserve. And so we want to talk about that a little bit today. You know, liberty really was God's idea. It, it couldn't come from any other source. A lot of times people want to say, well, liberty is a creation of and a gift of government. But in this country, we've never believed that. It's pretty clear from our Declaration of Independence that God gave us rights that no one can take away. No one. And we celebrate that liberty today. God gave us those writes, God gave us the liberty we enjoy, and we give thanks. Now, what do I mean? What do we mean when we talk about liberty? Well, I think of it in two ways. Learned this some years ago from an attorney, Chris Ann Hall, and she described liberty as freedom with responsibility. And I thought that was a really excellent way to think about it, because sometimes people think freedom is just You can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. doesn't matter the consequences to yourself or anyone else. That's what freedom is. But liberty is freedom with responsibility. And I I learned that lesson. And then, well, many years ago, I had the opportunity to visit Ukraine, long before the war broke out, of course. And, And on that visit, our group had the opportunity to visit And I'll never forget this. I I don't remember the people. I don't remember the place. But I remember what happened during that visit. We visited a school. They spoke English there. That was helpful because we did not speak Ukrainian or Russian, either of the languages of Ukraine. But this school spoke English. The students wanted to learn it. And so we could talk with the, with the faculty, with the teachers. And I remember sitting, we were waiting for something to start. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was talking to a couple of the teachers there. And, and I was so impressed. I mean, one of them had visited the United States, and I thought, wow, that's amazing, and had visited some places that I had not had the opportunity to visit as of yet. Uh, later I visited. But she was telling me about her trip there. And we got to talking about this idea of liberty. And I said 
something to her along this line. I said, well, you know, liberty is freedom with, and she finished my sentence without having talked about that before, with no setup, with no anything. She finished the sentence and said, freedom and responsibility. Liberty is freedom and responsibility. So I thought that was very impressive that, that so many people around the world understand that freedom doesn't come without responsibility. And really, we need to understand as we give thanks on this Memorial Day weekend for the people that have preserved our religious liberty, we need to give thanks for that first freedom. Many times people think of and talk about religious liberty as our first freedom. And really, liberty itself is foundational when it comes to religious liberty. We really don't have liberty unless we have religious liberty. And so I like to think of it, and I agree with the people that say that's our first freedom, and I want us to remember that and give thanks because that's what people gave their life to preserve, was liberty for us. And we want to give thanks for that today. We want to give thanks for those who did not come home from battlefields far away. We want to give thanks for their willingness to sacrifice that we might enjoy liberty, freedom with responsibility. Now, sometimes we get all scrambled up in our thinking these days, and it just kind of drives some of us crazy. I don't know if it drives you crazy, but it does me, because we don't have a real good understanding of this idea of religious liberty. We don't have a real good understanding of how the church, people of faith, interact with the government. Now, we understand that the government has its responsibilities, and we respect those. We understand the church has its responsibilities, and we respect those. And we do not believe that there should be this wall of separation between church and state. Now, some of you are going to say, hold on, now, what do you mean? Well, let's talk about what that original use of that phrase meant. Now, it's been used and abused a lot in our country. It's been used over and over to push religious people, Christian people, away and say, you can't bring your Christianity into government at all. You can't let your religious faith inform what you think is right for the government to do and wrong for the government to do. Well, to begin with, everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, has a view of right and wrong, and every thing the government does is because someone thinks it's right or someone thinks it's wrong. So if they stop someone from stealing, it's because someone in the government has decided that stealing is wrong. Well, I agree with them. Stealing is wrong. I come to that conclusion because the Bible says don't steal. But this idea that you can't bring Christian faith and its understanding into government decisions is simply bizarre. People of all kinds of faith and no faith bring their understanding of right and wrong, and that's what it means to make a law. Because you have to decide, every time one of our representatives in the state level or at the federal level makes a decision, they are expressing their understanding of right and wrong. And so the whole business of a wall of separation does not stand up to scrutiny as it's currently being talked about in trying to keep people of Christian faith out of government and to keep their views out of government. 
The only reason people say that is because they want their views to dominate government. So they want to say that our understanding doesn't matter, but theirs does. Well, what is their religious perspective? They have one, whether they admit it or not. They have a religious perspective. Maybe their religious perspective is to try to deny a religious perspective. I don't know. But what is this business of separation of church and state? Well, it goes back many years to the experience that the Danbury Baptists had and their correspondence with then-President Thomas Jefferson. So they wrote a letter dated October 7th, 1801. So our Constitution had been in force for a number of years now. We were still learning how that went, what that meant. And they wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson, essentially asking him, and you can find this letter online. I I thought about reading it, but it's quite long. And the, the language is a little bit different because they spoke and wrote differently in those days. But they essentially were asking then-President Thomas Jefferson, do we have anything to fear about the government coming along and telling us what we can and cannot do in our religious practice? They said they weren't sure about that. They seemed to think it was not clear in the way the Constitution had been presented and approved. Um, So they wanted to know. They asked President Thomas Jefferson, What do we have to fear? Do we have anything to fear from the government? Well, Thomas Jefferson wrote back in their letter expressing expressing his appreciation to them for having written, and he wanted them to understand clearly, and it's clear when you read the letter. It's not difficult at all. He makes it very clear that the government is not to make any law that inhibits free exercise of religion, that inhibits freedom of conscience. And he describes that limitation on government. And remember, as a reference to the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, remember, those amendments were put there to limit government. And so when then-President Jefferson said there is a wall of separation between church and state, what he was saying was the wall kept government out of the church's business. It's very clear that's what it means. And yet we've seen people who are enemies of right and wrong and enemies of God and enemies of the church try to, and they too badly succeeded, at twisting that around to make some people of good conscience, of Christian faith, think they have no role and can't speak about or participate in government at all. And they've, they've used that to marginalize people. And it's time we, we said no. It's time we said no, we're not going to go that way. We don't believe that, and it's not true, because what Jefferson was saying this says, is that the government is restricted, not us. And that makes a lot more sense, don't you think? That the government is restricted, not good-hearted people. So make sure you understand that and never give in on that argument. It's very clear. The Danbury Baptists asked the same questions we asked today. Is the government going to mess with our church? And the answer from Thomas Jefferson was, the government has no authority to mess with your church. There is separation. That's what it means that the, law, that the government, by law, cannot make any law that interferes with your free expression of your religion. So relax, Danbury Baptists. And by the way, I don't know too much about those Baptists, except they were Danbury Baptists. But think about the great heritage that people have now in this country who call themselves Baptists. They can look back to that 
And somewhere in their history, some people who called themselves Baptists said, no, we're not going to buckle down to this, and we want the president to give us that assurance. And the president did. And now all of us have a clear statement that the church is to be left alone. Government leaves us alone. We lived through a sad period when we lived through that business with the pandemic and so many churches were harassed, shut down, restricted in so many ways. The government had no authority to do that. Now, I know some people were very much afraid that it was going to be a serious illness and, and affect them. I get that. And the government should have said to the churches, hey, this is serious. We don't really know what it's going to mean for us. And until we know better, would you consider helping us out by adjusting the way you conduct yourselves and your church? Some churches would have adjusted in one way, some churches in another way, some churches in no way at all. But that would have preserved the vital liberty that we call religious freedom. And instead, in too many cases, the church went along with it and gave up a level of freedom that they never should have given up because that freedom comes from God, only from God. And we give thanks for God's wonderful gift of liberty. And we do not ever, ever want to bow down to government. We are not uncooperative. We are not antagonistic. But we are resolute that the government should stay out of the church's business. The government should stay out of the conscience business of individuals because we enjoy religious liberty. We enjoy freedom of conscience. And we enjoy that to a great degree because people gave their lives to preserve our religious liberty. And I want us to think about that a little bit more, and I want us to think about some of the things that that, that means. And there's some history behind all of this, and, and some of us may remember, I don't know if you remember going back quite a number of years now, when what we now call Memorial Day was called Decoration Day. And that, that was an original description of it. Actually, the idea for a, a remembrance like this came about during the Civil War era. And, and in the late 60, 1860s, they decided they needed to have some kind of special remembrance of the people who had died in the Civil War. And so they began to do that. And in 1868, a general started the idea of having a nationwide day of remembrance on the 30th of May. And so they did that on the 30th of May in 1868. And the idea was to remember the fallen, the people who had given their lives in the Civil War, because it was a huge issue in our country. So many people died. So many people. And so on that date, they called it Decoration Day because on that date, they were encouraging people to go to the graves of the fallen and place flowers there as a remembrance of what sacrifice they had made. And so people did from all over. In fact, the idea of Decoration Day persisted for a long time. My earliest remember of what we call Memorial Day now was when it was called Decoration Day. And I remember my grandmother in particular made it a point every year she got flowers, maybe from her own flower garden, I don't remember all those details, and she and my grandfather would travel around to the graves of their family members and loved ones and decorate those graves. See, it became not just a remembrance of, of the war 
veterans that had died, but a remembrance in general, and it, it just reminded people that there was some serious stuff going on, and we should give thanks. I don't know which graves they visited. I never remember hearing that. I, I probably did hear a little bit about it, but I didn't really, it didn't resonate. I was far too young for that to have, have had any real impact upon me. Well, that idea of Decoration Day persisted, and then finally in 1971, the nation passed a law making the Monday Memorial Day. Now, before that, it had been May 30th, but we changed that in 1971 to the last Monday in May. People wanted a three-day weekend. I guess that's no surprise. It was also made a federal holiday by that legislation in 1971. And so now we celebrate Memorial Day, and we do all kinds of things. We remember our fallen heroes. We have picnics. In many places, it's considered the unofficial or maybe the official, I'm not sure, start of summer. We in Florida, summer is kind of year-round for us. Uh, not 100%, but a lot that way. So it's not quite the same significance in terms of the weather for us, but it's still significant in terms of remembering those people who gave the ultimate sacrifice that we could have liberty. And I was fortunate a couple of years ago to go visit Arlington National Cemetery. I'd always thought I'd like to do that. And then I had that opportunity. It wasn't a long visit, but it was impactful. And when you drive through that area and you see all of the lines of crosses, all of the graves of the fallen soldiers, it can't help but have an effect on you. But Arlington Memorial Cemetery, or, or Federal Cemetery, what National Cemetery, I guess it is, Arlington National Cemetery, was not always such a well-kept place. During the Civil War, it was um, a place you didn't really want someone to go. It was dilapidated. The graves were not kept up. It was an unkept field. In fact, the cemetery's historian said, quote, you would not have wanted to have a loved one buried there. It had none of the esteem or prestige it has today. We were burying two types of folks, soldiers who were unknown or soldiers whose families didn't have the money to return them to Pennsylvania or to North Carolina or to Ohio. So it wasn't much. It was just a place that they used out of convenience. Well, that changed because the federal government finally took over the land and, and then began to use it as a proper cemetery, and it's become what it is today. But what you may not know is the land was originally owned by General Robert E. Lee. That's right, Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Now, Lee was asked to take charge of the Union Army, but because he was from Virginia, he declined, men moved farther south, and later led the Confederacy. Well, he had that land in his possession because he married Mary Custis, and Mary had that land because she was a relative of George Washington, and that's how they came to possess it. Now, the problem developed when Mary failed to appear in 1862 and paid $92.07 in taxes. She tried to pay it through an intermediary, but they wouldn't accept that, and so the federal government took the land, illegally as it turned out, because later General Lee's son sued and forced the federal government to pay him $150,000 for the land that they had seized illegally. He did that in lieu of requiring them to dig up all of the buried dead and then return the land to him in its proper condition. He respected that and took the monetary settlement. And now Arlington is what it is today, a, a national treasure. And if you ever get to go there, 
spend some time looking around. There are more things there than I could begin to talk about. I saw only a few of them. I did have the opportunity to watch the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown. That was really impactful. And it reminds us of the, of the seriousness with which we as Americans take the fact that war is a horror and people die. And those men, those soldiers who guard that tomb day and night do a great service to all of us. And when you get a chance to sit there and watch that ceremony unfold, you are reminded of how serious we take the wars that we sadly have to fight and the losses we have to endure. That was a great day in my life, and I will long remember it. It and a couple of the other memorials that we visited while we were there. If you get a chance, I strongly encourage you to go to Arlington National Cemetery. There is much to see and much to appreciate, much to remember, and much for which to give thanks. And you may not remember, you've probably heard it, that there's an inscription on the Tomb of the Unknowns, and it reads simply this. Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. And thanks be to God, that American soldier is known to God. And we give thanks for the sacrifice of all of the soldiers that went before us. We give thanks because they preserve for us the gift that God has given us, the gift of liberty. And we never want to take that for granted. Now, there are many ways people will celebrate this, this season. We will take time at our church to celebrate that. We will also take time to celebrate Pentecost, and we'll talk about Pentecost in just a minute. We're going to get to that. But a, a few years ago, uh, quite a few now, in fact, I couldn't even find the, the video online. I did find it in a file on my computer. I was very fortunate. But I saw a, a music video. I think it was made before music videos were such a thing. I'm not sure about that. I don't know who wrote the song. I don't know who produced the video that I saw. I do know that I got the copy I have because of the American, or I'm sorry, the Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF. They put it out there and reminded all of us. And if you can find it, good for you. I just couldn't find it anywhere. But I transcribed the lyrics, and I wanted us to think about them because it says so much about religious liberty. And in these days, I have been so conscious of so many things that go on in our country that are hindering, infringing our liberty, that are trying to, and sometimes successfully, lead people astray. And I don't think that's a, a healthy thing at all. It's not a desirable thing. It's something we need to push back against so that we do the right things and remember the important things. So I want to read the text of this little simple song. It, it doesn't do justice for me to read it. I, I, I admit that. But it asks some real serious questions that I think we need to take to heart on this Memorial Day weekend. And I hope you will as you think about it. I hope you will not be, can I say, seduced by those people who say, well, you're worshiping the country. No, we're not worshiping the country. We're giving thanks to God that he gave us the gift of, of this country. We would never worship the country. God always comes before country, and it's a distant second for country. We know that. But we also will not refuse to give thanks for what God has given us. Why would we do that? 
why would we be so ungrateful as to not acknowledge God's gift to all of us? And so this little poem that became a song that I referred to gives us some insight into this whole business when it asks a simple question. What about Arlington? The song begins. There's a man on my TV talking a lot. Says he can't give allegiance to the flag under God. The more I listened to what he had to say, preaching about separating church and state, pointed to the commandments on the courthouse wall, screaming about his rights and how we need to tear them all. Once no crosses on government lands, how come nobody's asking that man? What about Arlington? Those thousands of crosses lined up in a row. Soldiers who died, gave their lives for people they don't even know. How could something carved in stone just be undone? What about our fallen daughters and sons? What about Arlington? If you take those crosses off those graves, you might as well erase those names. And all the tears that their mamas cried in remembrance of their sacrifice. Twenty-one bullets fired up in the air. Some of us cried and some don't care. You all have the right to freedom of speech. It's all right if we disagree, but... What about Arlington? Those thousands of crosses lined up in a row. Soldiers who died gave their lives for people they don't even know. How could something carved in stone just be undone? What about our fallen daughters and sons? What about Arlington? This one nation under God, that's America, like it or not. Freedom's not free. It comes with a cost before you tear down one more cross. What about Arlington? Those thousands of crosses lined up in a row, soldiers who died gave their lives for people they don't even know. How could something carved in stone just be undone? What about our fallen daughters and sons? What about Arlington? And you see, I like the way that song phrases that because that really becomes an unanswerable question. What about Arlington? What are we going to do with that? If we want to tear down the religious nature of our nation, what are we going to do about Arlington? Well, I think what we're going to do is we're going to remember. And we're not going to cave in to those people who want to erase our religious heritage or take away our rights under God. We are not going to surrender those because God has given them to us as a gift. And yes, I'm absolutely convinced it's important for us to pause on this Memorial Day weekend and give thanks for the gift of liberty. Give thanks for those daughters and sons that did not come home in defense of the liberty God gave us. Absolutely, we will remember. But I want to say also that one of the other ways we need to remember them is by our responsibility. Remember I said liberty is freedom 
and responsibility. We have a responsibility to preserve that gift of liberty. Now, I know some of you listening are veterans, and you gave part of your life, maybe a lot of your life, to preserve liberty. But you took an oath, and the veterans I know said that oath never expires, that we're going to preserve the country, the gift, the Constitution that God has given us. And I want to encourage you veterans and all of us who did not serve, I did not, to make sure we do everything we can to preserve the gift of liberty. There are plenty of people, I don't need to warn you about that, you know that. There are plenty of people that are intent on changing this country and taking away your liberty and mine. They want to take away every right we have. They want to make us live according to their design. They want to get rid of God. They want to get rid of our religious liberty. And we must never bow down to that. We are the people of God, and we will, under God, preserve what God has given us. And it's one thing to remember, and I hope you do. It's one thing to give thanks, and I hope you do. It's another thing, and this is where people just simply don't want to step up. And I urge you, it's time to step up and do your part to preserve religious liberty. There's a lot of ways you can do that. We don't really want to get into all of that now, but I want you to ask God, pray about it. What can I do to preserve the gift you've given us? And then follow in the way he leads. And we need to help each other do that. It's not just as simple as voting for the candidate that will lessen evil, although that's important. It often involves much more, and we need to commit ourselves to doing that. Well, there's more to talk about on this weekend. It's not just Memorial Day. It's also the day that we, the people of God, we celebrate Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we want to talk about what that means and the dynamics that it makes in our lives, the difference it made in the church when we come back. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rex nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, 
a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. AmericaOutloud.com. If you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. Continuing on this Memorial Day weekend to remember the fallen, to give them honor, and to thank God for their sacrifice. But this year, it's quite interesting to me that we also want to celebrate Pentecost. And it's kind of hard to mix a somber celebration with a really joyous time, the the event of Pentecost, but we're going to do it. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. And on this weekend, we, on Sunday, are going to give thanks. We're going to remember the ones who have fallen, but we are also going to remember the great gift God has given to us in the Holy Spirit. And to celebrate, it's the birthday of the church. So Pentecost is a very big event in the history of God's people. I suspect for a lot of people, it's not well understood. I don't know why that is. I, I don't think I understood it very well until I began to look into it more as a, as a pastor. I, I, I don't know why people didn't talk about it in these terms. I think you kind of get in your mind, it's one thing and only one thing. And so you, you just don't tend to, to think beyond that. We kind of get stuck sometimes. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just kind of amused and surprised by that. So I want us to think about Pentecost, and I want us to make some connections that we don't typically make. Uh, Not because they're not appropriate, they absolutely are. We just don't seem to make them for one reason or another. Now, most people associate Pentecost and the idea of the day of Pentecost with the events recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 2. 
That's understandable. That's appropriate. That's important because the church was born that day and God sent to us and fulfilled the promise of Jesus that he would send the Holy Spirit. So I want to read that portion from from Acts. It's kind of long, 21 verses, but I think we need to make sure we hear and we understand what actually happened on the day of Pentecost. And then we're going to talk about a little bit of the history and how we got there and what some of the things that happened meant and still mean on the day of Pentecost and what they mean to us today. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1, starting with verse 1, reading from the New Revised Standard Version, Update Edition. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood, and fire, and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, we're going to stop there. That's part of a much longer sermon that Peter preached, but that introduces the idea that we call Pentecost, and that's the event that we most remember. I I was struck by, when you read this and look at it carefully, maybe you caught that too. It starts with verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come. Now, wait a minute, he hadn't described the events that were taking place and called them Pentecost. He said, when the day of Pentecost had come. What's going on with that? Well, let's make sure we understand what's going on with that. Now, to be sure, Acts 2 was the first 
celebration of Pentecost that we think of because of the importance of the birth of the church and the importance of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I understand why we think that way. But we should remind ourselves, especially when we read of really amazing events. Who ever heard of a sound of a rushing wind? Now, I've heard the sound of a rushing wind. We had a hurricane a little more than seven months ago here, Hurricane Ian, and I heard a lot of the sound of rushing wind. And it wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was a hurricane. Well, here, they didn't have the wind. We had the wind and the rain and all that goes with it. But they, all they had was the sound. And it got everyone's attention. And, and we should say, now, wait a minute, that's really unusual. What, what would be up with a sound like that? And we, we saw in our mind's eye the description that, that was given to us from the writer Luke in Acts that those people gathered there in the room had what looked like fire hovering above them, described as tongues of fire. I don't know what else to describe them. Uh, it looked like a tongue on fire, maybe. They, they hadn't seen anything like this before, so we can forgive them of ha- struggling to describe it. But that's what they said. So we need to think about what's going on here and, and what we understand from the history of God's people that will help us. Because often when we come across something that really is unusual, some event that's really, really unusual, and we can't kind of make sense of it, we have to think about, okay, did God do anything like this before? Can we learn anything from the way God acted in history? And in this case, we surely can. Because while we think of this as the first Pentecost, it was not at all the first Pentecost that God's people celebrated. They celebrated Pentecost, sometimes called the Feast of Weeks, every year, and had been celebrating it for many, many, many years because God gave that instruction early on in the life of God's people after they left Egypt. See, Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, is, is and has been for centuries a Jewish holiday, a feast. We sometimes call Pentecost a feast. As we use the word feast, we, we probably shouldn't use that word because we understand that as a big meal. For them, Pentecost was more of a, what we would call a festival. So I like to refer to Pentecost as the festival more than the feast because we get kind of narrow-minded thinking about Thanksgiving feast or something like that. But there was a festival every year at this time of the year that God now uses to do something new. Isn't that remarkable? There is a connection between the historic Pentecost and this new occurrence on the day of Pentecost. And it's not a coincidence. God used that to help us understand things and to introduce us to something new. This is the birthday of the church, and we give thanks. Now, there were several of these festivals, sometimes called feasts, and I guess you could call different ones a feast more than a festival. You can sort that out. For example, Passover may be better called a feast because it centered around a family meal. But this festival of Passover was one of seven that God had commanded his people to to observe, seven feasts or festivals. There were four in the spring and three in the fall, and they would repeatedly and regularly celebrate those as remembrance, as God's reminder to them. 
There's no reason we can't continue to celebrate them and remember the great heritage, particularly when it comes to Pentecost, because it's such a pivotal event in the life of God's people. Pentecost was the last of the spring feasts or festivals on the Hebrew calendar. And Paul told us something interesting about that in Colossians chapter 2. He mentioned these festivals, and he said in, in talking about them that they were a shadow of things to come. They were just kind of giving us a glimpse of what was to come. But he goes on to say something very interesting. But the substance of this festival was Christ himself. So all of these feast festivals were just simply there to point all of us to Christ. The way a shadow sometimes represents a tree or a person or some other object that casts a shadow. They were just pointing to the reality that is Christ. Now, Pentecost comes from a Greek word. The, I should say the word Pentecost comes from a Greek word meaning 50th. And so God had given instructions in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, sometimes referred to as the Hebrew Bible. He gave instructions that seven weeks after Passover, on the 50th day, they were to celebrate Pentecost, this festival. It was the end for them. It was the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. So it was very important for them to give thanks for the harvest for what God had given them. Sometimes it was called the Day of First Fruits or the Feast of Harvest. Lots of different ways of describing it. Same idea, but God had given them instructions to do that. And it's one of three festivals. Remember I said there were seven. It's one of three festivals that they were told to celebrate at the temple. Now that's interesting because faithful Jewish people would make arrangements to return to Jerusalem Many of them had been there at Passover. Now here they come back 50 days later to celebrate there at the temple. And it is no accident that God used the Passover season and what Passover pointed to for the gift of Jesus as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's not an accident. It's very interesting how God used what had historically happened to then take things to a whole new level. In the same way, this idea of Pentecost, the city was full. You heard the description that I read of all kinds of people from all over. They were there in the, in the city because they had come back to the temple to celebrate this feast. And God wanted to do something new when there were people around so they could hear what was going on, so they could experience what he was doing, so they would know that what happened was the gift of the Holy Spirit. They weren't drunk, like is referred to in there. That just cracks me up when I read that. And, and Peter gets up and says, no, get over get over it. They're not drunk. And he explains to them it's morning. And, and he was right. In those days, nobody got drunk that time of the day. It's preposterous for them to think so. But, but notice this. The people trying to make sense of it couldn't make sense of it. What in the world happened? They couldn't figure it out. How do you wrap your mind around something that God has never done before and is now doing right before your eyes? Well, Peter explains what's going on and helps them understand, and he makes a very strong, straightforward point. They're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit. That is very significant. Now, it's also important to, to think about this in terms of harvest festivals. Now, we don't think about harvest festivals the way they would have thought about them. Sure, we have Thanksgiving. We give thanks for that, and we have a lot of nice food, a lot of good 
friendships and, and a lot of good times with our families. We understand that. But in those days, the agriculture was viewed differently because they realized that their survival year in and year out depended on God bringing them a harvest. They would not survive if they couldn't grow the food they needed for the next year. Now, it's still true for us. We, we kid ourselves. We can't survive without the food that God gives us that farmers grow or that people grow in their gardens. We just couldn't. But we're so much in our cities disconnected from that that we think our food comes from the grocery store down the street. Well, I shop at the grocery store occasionally. My wife does most of that. But the food that the grocery store has comes from a farm somewhere. And it comes because God has given us a harvest of plenty of food and our grocery stores are fully stocked. We rarely have to do without because there isn't food there. Occasionally there might be less of something that's in high demand and more of something else. Or you may not get corn on the cob because it's not the growing season. We understand that. But we don't go hungry, do we? And these people recognize that if God did not give them the gift of a harvest, they might not survive year to year. We probably need to recapture a little bit of that thinking, not because I want us to feel like we're under threat. God says, don't be afraid. But we need to give thanks because God does provide for us. And, and that's important. Now, it's also interesting that while this started out as a festival celebrating harvest, later it was connected to the day that God gave the law to Israel at Sinai. You remember the story? They came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, went to the base of Mount Sinai, spent quite a bit of time there, and God gave them the law. A great blessing to them. They're given at Sinai. You also may remember, and this is really fascinating, and I, this is where I think we should not miss these Old Testament connections. It drives me nuts when people want to say the Old Testament doesn't matter. But do you remember the story of God's people there at Sinai? You probably do. I mean, a lot of things happened. But God was very specific about who could come up the mountain and who cut, couldn't, and, and the danger of all that. But when God arrived, when God showed them his appearance, he came in thunders, a lot of, lot of noise, lightning, a lot of powerful lightning bolts, thick cloud on the mountains. I mean, it was a sight of grandeur and amazement that parallels, think about this, parallels the sound of the rushing wind at Pentecost in Jerusalem we just read about. It parallels because of the fire that was visible, the fire of the Holy Spirit coming down. is very distinctly parallels the events at Sinai. And of course, there are other times in the Old Testament that God showed himself in that way. And we need to not overlook that and make the connections because when God shows up in smoke and in fire, it demonstrates that his presence is there and they needed to know that. Now, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we now understand, is a demonstration that God will be with us wherever we go. We don't have to wait for some kind of mighty demonstration of fire and smoke and wind. But we can make the connection between the fire and the smoke and the wind to all the times in the Old Testament when God demonstrated himself that way. It's when God descends on his people that he makes those kinds of things known. And we need to 
We need to give thanks for that and not miss the connection to Pentecost. We sometimes have too, too narrow of a view of this idea of Pentecost, and we think it's just the gift of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church. In fact, sometimes we don't even think about it being the birthday of the church, but it clearly was. There's also something that's mentioned in, in Peter's sermon that he gave there on the, that day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And he refers to them as not being drunk. And he goes on to explain that what's happening is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. Well, see, there's another clue that we should make connections to things that we have in our back pocket to remember about what God has done in previous times. And isn't that fascinating that the prophet Joel predicted in very interesting language exactly what was going to happen. And, and Peter quotes that. I read that. You heard me read that idea from, from Joel, that God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters would prophesy. It's really remarkable stuff. So he mixed that in, and all the people were there from all over the place. We talked about that. And God makes this huge deal of sending the Holy Spirit. Now remember, Jesus had said for them to wait in Jerusalem until the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't tell them, there's nowhere that I've ever seen, no one I've ever heard said it's going to happen on Pentecost. But in the brilliance of God, he chose that for our benefit and theirs, I'm sure. And he comes down with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one of the first things that happens is they go out and they give testimony to what Jesus has done, who he is, what he did. And thousands of people who have crowded into that city now hear the testimony of God's people. And not only that, but miraculously, God gives them a gift to hear the message in their own language. Now, we get a lot of knots tied up, and, and I run afoul of some of my friends, and I don't, don't mean to, but I, but I do mean to be plain about it, because I think we get, we, we get so, uh, how should I say, so, so messed up. That's probably not an adequate description, but we get so messed up by our by our fussing and our, uh, how should we say, arguing or our differences over this business of the Holy Spirit coming. You know, I think there's much more that unites us around that than that should divide us. But we should also make sure we look carefully at what the Bible says, not try to make it say what we want it to say. And in this passage, on this description of the day of Pentecost, it's quite clear that what happens is that the people who were speaking knew one language and the people that were hearing knew a multitude of languages and yet they all understood the message as though it was given in their own language. That's very amazing. What a miracle that is. Now a lot of people want to talk about, related to the day of Pentecost, the idea of the gift of speaking in tongues. Now I don't want to discredit what God might be doing, but I want to make sure we understand that it's clear from the scriptures that what happened on the day of Pentecost was about languages. You see, God is up to a lot of things in our world, and he wants us to know about them. He wants us to participate in them. Sometimes he wants to surprise us like he did on the day of Pentecost. But in every case, we give thanks for the gifts God has given us. On this Memorial Day weekend, we give thanks for the men and women, the sons and daughters of America, that gave their lives to preserve our liberty, especially our religious liberty. And we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit 
that makes all things new, that empowers us as followers of Jesus to be able to fulfill the will of God because the Holy Spirit comes to make all things new and to make us strong and able, and we will follow faithfully in the way God leads. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. Come back next week. We'll talk some more.